If you have uh, ever watched any program on television or movies or seen any popular depiction of a courtroom, you've almost certainly heard this phrase. Now, I want to tell you something. I just want to give you a little background as an attorney. What you see on television that goes on in court is not usually what goes on in court. Court actually is oftentimes pretty boring and not at all like you see on the movies or on TV. But what's the phrase that you always hear the judge saying when he takes out that little wooden gavel and starts banging on the desk? Order in the court. I want to tell you something. I, I honestly don't think I've ever heard that phrase as a lawyer myself personally in a courtroom. I don't, I don't think I've ever once in a courtroom heard a judge bang a gavel and say, order in the court. But you see it on TV or on movies or popular depictions all the time. Order in the court. Now, what's going on in that courtroom when the judge says order? Why does he do that? Because there's disorder. And disorder in what? Noise, people talking, something happened in court and suddenly everyone's talking. Bang, 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 bang order in the court. Now, what's the judge? Why is the judge doing that? The judge is doing that because he knows there's business that needs to happen. There's a decision that needs to be made. There's testimony that needs to be heard. There's facts that need to be put into the record. And the judge knows that if there's disorder, if there's commotion, if there's chaos in the courtroom, that's not going to happen. Now, do you know we're, we've heard a lot about disorder in recent weeks and in recent months. If you go downtown just a few blocks north of here, you would come by the Hennepin County Government Center. And do you know what you'd see around the Hennepin County Government Center? You'd see a whole bunch of fencing. You'd be, see a whole bunch of police officers. If you went into the Hennepin County Government Center and you tried to go up to the 18th floor, do you know what you'd see? A whole lot of security. Why? Because there's a, some really important business going on down there right now. There's a trial going on that a lot of people are really interested in whether the defendant is going to be found guilty or not guilty. And our city government and our state knows that if there's commotion, if there's chaos, if there's disorder around that building, it might affect the ability of the court to do its business. We had another really significant example of this on January 6th when the United States Congress was meeting together to certify election results. And there was disorder. There was chaos. There were commotion. There were people breaking into the building. What happened to the certification? It stopped. The business wasn't getting done because there was chaos. There was disorder. There was riot. And I start here because I see in my mind's eye in this passage, these few verses that Calvin Todd read for us this morning, I see the Apostle Paul. It's almost like he's got a black judge's robe on. It's almost like he's got a gavel in his hand. It's almost like he's hitting the table and he's saying, order in the church. Order in the church. See, we realize from 1 Corinthians 14 that these people at Corinth had a problem. In their churches, there wasn't order, there was disorder. There wasn't clarity, there was chaos and commotion. And it was affecting the very purpose of what they were there for church, to build each other up. 
And so Paul comes like this judge to say, you all need some order. You need to put in some things to make sure that there's not chaos in the church. Now, what I want to do as we've been going through 1 Corinthians 14 is not only apply this passage to our life together as a church, but to see whether we can draw principles out of these passages that apply more broadly in our life. In other words, I'm not suggesting here that 1 Corinthians 14 is only about what happens when we meet here at church. I'm grateful that there's not chaos and commotion going on right now while you're sitting here. I don't think you need that warning today. But maybe there are other areas of our life in which we would hear the Holy Spirit saying to us, order, order, order in the Christian. The title of the message this morning is Order in the Church. Order in the Church. That is Paul's message And then we're going to see if we can draw a principle from that that we can apply to other areas of our life, not just when we are in church together. We're first going to look together at Paul's command. Now, I encourage you, if you have your Bible, to open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Maybe you have the Bible on a a phone or smart device that you can take a look at that. I want all of us to be looking at this passage Together, so we can try to understand it and then apply it to our lives. So let's start in verse 26 together, shall we? 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 26. Let's take a look at Paul's command. He starts, How is it then, brethren, brothers and sisters, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation? Now here's a command let all things be done. Unto edifying. Now, what's he saying? We're far removed from first century Corinth when it comes to how we do church. We've got in our church a fairly obvious structure for how we do things. Not them. I want to just give you a picture here. It would be like if we came together in church and he says, every one of you has something to say. It would be like if we all came to church and suddenly John Anderson is standing up and saying, I've got a revelation. And he starts in, and he starts talking to us on something God has shown him. And then suddenly over here, Mark Holder stands up and he says, you know, brother, I don't know that I agree with that. I've got one too. And suddenly in the middle of while Mark is talking, Nick stands up and he says, hey, let me have my turn. You're going a little too long. And then suddenly someone else gets up and they start speaking in a language none of us have ever heard before. And suddenly everyone stops and they're looking at this person speaking in some strange language. They have no idea what what he is saying. And then suddenly one of the women stands up and says, I don't understand that. I've got a question. Who's going to answer my question? Do you get a picture of what was going on in church? Can you imagine being in in a church environment? What would that be called? Chaos. Chaos. Now, some of you have been in a classroom before. And it's been chaos and it's been commotion. The teacher is trying to get everyone to sit down and listen up. And everyone just wants to talk. Everyone has their own joke. Everyone has their own thing to talk about. Is there any learning going on? There's no learning going on when there's chaos in our classrooms. And Paul is making the simple point, let all things be done unto edifying, is that when there's chaos and commotion in the church, people aren't learning. People aren't being built up. 
people aren't being encouraged in their Christian faith. So Paul says, when you come to church, every one of you has something to say. That's not the way to do it. Let everything be done so people can be built up. Now look at the other commands. He said, if any man speaks in an unknown tongue, if anyone speaks, is speaking by the Holy Spirit of God in a language no one else understands, what does he say? Let it be by two or at the most by three and that by course, in order. Everyone taking turns. Now listen to this. And let one interpret. What is he saying? But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Paul is saying, if one of you, if if someone in the church thinks that God is telling them to get up and speak in a language they've never learned before, something miraculous that God is doing, he said, if there's no one there to tell everyone else what that person is saying, then be quiet. Just keep seated. You can talk to yourself and you can talk to God, but, but don't speak publicly. Now, can you imagine what these people at Corinth must have thought when Paul is giving these commands? Paul, who do you think you are? The Holy Spirit told me to talk. I'll talk if I want to talk. And here's Paul saying, order, order in the church. Paul, in fact, says, if any one of you thinks that he is spiritual, you're going to acknowledge that I'm telling you the commandments of God. So get in shape, order, order in the church. Now, do you see that? Here are these people getting up, thinking they're operating under the Spirit, and they're doing exactly what the Spirit is telling them to do. And Paul says, no, 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 no. All you're doing is creating commotion and and chaos. I am telling you order. Now notice what else he says, verse 29. Let the prophet speak two or three, and let the other judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. Now, here's what he's saying. If, if, if you at Corinth, you believe that God is telling you to say something, well, here's the order. It'll be by two or three, two or three of you, and someone else can judge whether God is truly speaking through that person. And then he says, if someone sitting there says, oh, God is telling me something. I've got something to share. He says, the person who is talking should yield the floor and say, okay, all right, you talk. Now, that's totally different than what was going on at Corinth in chaos and commotion. This looks like order. This looks like structure. This looks like not commotion, but clarity. Now, notice what he says in verse 31. For ye may all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be comforted. He said, take your turn one by one. Don't have chaos, don't have commotion, have order. And now notice what he says in verse 32. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Now, do we understand what he means by that? I got to confess, I didn't for the longest time. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Do you know what I think he's saying? He's saying, you're in control of yourself. Have you ever heard someone or seen someone act in a completely out of control manner. They're bouncing off the walls, they're doing crazy. It's like they're not even in control of themselves. Paul says, that's not to be in the church. If you think that God is telling you to say something, you can control yourself. Friends, there is a real lesson there for our our friends and brothers and sisters in the charismatic and Pentecostal movement who who are known for doing things that have no control about them, being 
utterly uncontrolled. Paul here is saying, that's not, that's not the spirit. Because the spirits of the prophets are subject. They are under control by the prophets themselves. And we'll talk more about that in our Sunday evenings as we're working on this gift of tongues. So here's this idea. Paul is the command is to say, is God telling you something? Act orderly. Because without order, without this kind of control, no one's learning. Chaos does not produce profit. It produces destruction. There's the command. And so far, so good, right? At Straight Gate Church, all of you are being very orderly. All of you are being very controlled. Does it apply outside of church? Do you think? Go to the next verse, verse 32. Oh, sorry, verse 33. We just looked at verse 32. Verse 33 said, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. And he goes on to say in verse 40, Let all things be done decently and in order. All things. Now, in other words, he's moving from simply a command that Paul is giving. He's moving, secondly, to God's character. He is saying God does not bring about confusion. It is not God's nature to have chaos. Now, I want us to think about that for a minute. What does he mean when he said God is not a God of confusion? He's not a God. That word means commotion, tumult, chaos, disorder. He said that's not God. Let's go back to the beginning. Do you know God made a world filled with order? How do you think our ancestors could tell the changing of the seasons the orbit of the planets without the kind of sophisticated mathematical equations and the sophisticated astronomical uh, technology that we have today? Because they said, I know when that star is supposed to be there in that place in the sky. I know where the sun is supposed to be. Because it's a, it's, a, it's a universe of order. Our orbits are predictable. The sun is in the, we know where the sun is going to be in the sky at a particular time. God has set laws of nature that are orderly. And as we come to spring, praise God that we're able to predict when spring actually is going to be here. Now, that is the nature of God in the laws of nature. But do you know that it is true as well, more broadly? I want you to think about God's law that was given in the, in the Old Testament. God says, thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt. He is giving commandments to mankind. Why? To give them order. He's saying, I don't want your lives to be filled with moral chaos, moral disorder, moral confusion. I am giving your life moral order and moral clarity. Here's how you order your life. How do you order your life? Love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the moral order I am giving to your life. And friends, do you know that what sin is at its root is moral disorder, moral chaos? Sin is when I step out from God's moral order and say, no, God, I'd rather be disordered. Thank you very much. 
Let me take something just very simple. What is God's moral order for our sexual desires? God's moral order is that they should be channeled into the relationship of marriage. One man, one wife. Now, what does the world tell us? The world says, we don't like that order. That, that's not exciting enough. That's not fun enough. We want disorder. We want to step outside of marriage in adultery. Or we don't want to wait for marriage. It's more exciting. It's more fun. We're going to have disorder in our sexual desires. It could be any other desire that we have. The orderly desire that God has for food becomes the disordered desire for food that can result either in things like anorexia or other things or in gluttony. We see moral order for society and we see disorder. One of them is building us up and encouraging us in our relationship with God. One of us is going to be operating to destroy us. Do you remember where the first aspect of moral disorder entered the world at the very beginning? When Satan said to Eve, has God really said? What was God's order for his humanity? My words for you are good words, follow them. And Satan says, no, God's words are bad words for you. It's just because he doesn't really want what's best for you. Here, try this fruit. And when man fell, we embrace disorder as a way of life. And that disorder is manifesting itself in ways that are destroying us and are destroying our society and are destroying our world. The effect of the curse, the effect of man's fall is that things around us are now disordered. What do we even see in our natural world? Think of the power of fire when it is under control in your fireplace. It has wonderful effects. What happens when it's a raging wildfire in California? It is destroying everything in its path. You know, it's remarkable. Do you know how an, an atom bomb, a nuclear bomb is de detonated? I'm no nuclear scientist, but I know this much. You send a neutron at a very high speed into, into an atom and that atom splits. And what happens is it, it's, it, it, it has a chain reaction that includes, a, that has a massive release of energy. Friends, do you know what happens when that nuclear reaction is in a nuclear power plant that is controlled and ordered? Tons of excellent power that run our life and make them much better. What happens when it's uncontrolled in the form of a nuclear bomb like those that fell at Hiroshima or Nagasaki in World War II? incredible destruction. And that is true of every one of the things that God has put in your life, your appetites, your desires, the things that he has given you to channel in moral order for your good and for your joy. Christians aren't killjoys. God isn't a, someone looking down and saying, I want to take away all your fun in life. I want to make sure you have no joy. He's saying, no, all of those appetites that you, that you want to, to have disorder. And he said, they'll destroy you. You won't find true joy. You won't tr find true satisfaction in sleeping around. You won't find true joy in getting your uh, uh, excitement in drugs and in crime and in all the other things in pr the, the pursuit of wealth at all costs. You're not going to find it in that disorder. You're going to find it in ordering your life by the way your creator knows is best for you. 
So friends, Paul is rooting this in the very nature of God. He's not an author of chaos. He's not an author of commotion and confusion. He is the author of order. Now, what does that mean for us? It means that when we see chaos and moral disorder in our lives, it's not from God. It's not from God. And it's not healthy. It's not something that God is desiring for our life. Now, I want to be clear. There are some aspects of chaos and commotion in our lives that are outside of our control. This week, I had the wonderful joy. I'm speaking entirely tongue-in-cheek. The wonderful joy of having a night that was disrupted by a newborn and a toddler. Suddenly, here is the baby just screaming her lungs out. And then suddenly, in the bedroom across, suddenly, here's the toddler deciding that he's up. And it doesn't matter that it's 2 o'clock in the morning. He's ready to party. He's ready to have a good time. Now, that is chaos and commotion in our life that, frankly, we couldn't control. In the same way that Paul had a bunch of chaos and commotion in his life when people were, were chasing him from city to city trying to kill him. Jesus had some commotion and chaos in his life that was beyond his control. What I'm not trying to do is put a burden on, your, on you to say every single aspect of your life needs to be just entirely in order. But what I am trying to say is there are certain things that, that God does put in our control. Just like in Corinth. He said, you have control whether you're operating in an orderly fashion or a disorderly one. In, in, in chaos or in clarity. And he said the effect, the effect of operating in that chaos is that you're not going to be edifying. You're not going to be being built up. You're not going to be strengthened in your faith. This is why Paul says, let all things be done decently and in order. And the idea that we're decent, decently, is the idea of being well-formed. Well-formed. That's the idea of that Greek word. Put together. It's like this in, in a moral sense. Do you remember when, when Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, he's telling us how to think? He says, Whatso finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Friends, do you know what is one of the most chaotic sources of our life? Our thinking. How many times, how many of you know exactly what stress is? Stress is so often caused by chaos in our minds, by commotion in our thoughts. Many of you were really helped. Remember that study we did with Dr. Jim Berg, quieting a noisy soul? And he identified the noise that is in our lives from chaotic thinking. And here God is, is saying to us in Philippians 4, he's saying, I'm going to tell you how to order your thoughts. Don't let it be chaotic. Don't let just think about anything that comes into your mind and dwell on them. I want you to channel your thoughts to things that are pure and honest and things that will build you up, not tear you down. God is saying you have control over what you think. And I'm telling you to bring order to that. In other words, we take from this principle what Paul is saying. You in Corinth, you can, be, you can choose order instead of chaos. And that's necessary to build up. My suggestion to us today is that 
God may be calling us to areas of order where there is disorder right now for the good of our souls. And that's why third, let's talk about the Christian's concern. If we've talked about Paul's command to the church at Corinth, if we talked about God's character to bring order, not disorder, let's look finally at what our concern is to be. I want to start with one caution for us. I don't mean to suggest for one minute that we as Christians should be shut off to spontaneity. I don't mean that for one second. Because if you notice what Paul is saying here to the church at Corinth, he is inviting spontaneity. What is he saying to them? All of you may prophesy. I'm not telling you it only has to be one person that gets up and speaks. And he even says, if God reveals something to one of you, the other person should yield. He's not saying you need a strict program. You need a liturgy that get, takes you every step of the service in this way from here to here. Is not what he's saying. And in fact, friends, when we are totally shut off to spontaneity in our lives, we're almost certainly quenching the spirit because the spirit works in spontaneous ways. I want you to think about the Pharisees. The Pharisees, oh, did they have order down? Did they have clarity? They knew exactly how to dress at every occasion. They, they knew exactly the words to use. They knew exactly how tithing was supposed to work. They went down even to tithe the herbs and the seeds that they had in their lives. Oh, they knew order. But do you know what they didn't have? They didn't have any life. They didn't know God. They didn't have a, they didn't, they didn't have a handle on what he wanted for them. And what I am saying is this, if, if you and I are control freaks about our lives, the spirit's not in control. Because sometimes and oftentimes the spirit's going to call you out of your comfort zone. He's going to call you out of your program. He's going to call you out of your routine. So don't hear me to say we all need to be buttoned up. We all need to be entirely just, just regimented and rigorous in that sense. I don't mean that because I don't think the Bible means that. But I do mean this, spontaneity requires structure to be useful. I'll say that again, spontaneity requires structure to be useful. Do you know this is true in virtually every area of life? Take sports, if you're a sports fan. If you try to have a basketball team that goes out and is just entirely spontaneous, we don't call plays. We don't have any structure. Here, roll the ball out and go run up and down the court and try to put the ball in the hoop. You know what's going to happen? You're going to be a bad basketball team. Do you know what also make you a bad basketball team? If the coach says, here are your plays and you're never allowed to diverge from them. Here's, I'm going to program where you are at all times on the court. No, do you know what a good coach does? He puts a structure around his team and says, here's generally what I want you to do and then let your creativity take over. Do you know what the greatest athletes in the history of our sports are? They are unbelievably creative within the structure that their coach gives them. Are they free-flowing? Are they spontaneous? You better believe it. But they have a structure surrounds them that allows them to do that. Think about if you're a, a chef and you're making food. You have in your mind an order 
You have certain laws of things that taste salty, sweet, sour, savory. You know how things play together. But if you ever watched a great chef cook, do you know what he or she does? They make a sauce and they dip the spoon and they taste it and they go. And they take another seasoning and they put it in there and they taste it again. All right, that's perfect. Do you know what that is? Spontaneity. But spontaneity within structure. Spontaneity within order. And we could simply go down the list of all these areas of our life where without structure, spontaneity is only going to be chaos. But within the form of structure, suddenly spontaneity becomes alive. And you know this, I'm I'm convinced this is true spiritually as well. I was really challenged. We have this wonderful couple in our neighborhood, wonderful Christian couple. And they've been such an encouragement to us. And I hope we have been to them as well. We had them just about a week or so. They came over to our house and we were talking about a specific question they had spiritually. They wanted to bounce off us. And we had a question for them too. This young couple with young children, all the stress of life that so many of us have, we have noticed about them. They are an unbelievable example of hospitality. But not just hospitality, discipleship. There are young couples coming in and out of their house. There's evenings during the week that college students are coming over and they're just having fellowship time together. And it always seems like they're just open to living life with other people. And we just wanted to ask them, we say, how do you do that? How do you have that kind of example of just disciple making? And what they said was so simple but so obvious. They said, do you know what we do? Every Sunday night, we just sit down and say, who do we want to have over this week? How do we want to use our time this week? And I said, duh. I, that was like my reaction. Oh, of course. Of course. You see, who is more likely to be able to be spontaneous in the way that they minister to others? Those who at the beginning of the week say, this is how we're going to organize out and order out our week and give it some structure, or those who, I'm just going to fly by the seat of my pants. The ones who say, you know, God, here's what I think you want us to do this week, but we're open if you change, our, if you change things on the fly. And it's like, oh, Do you know how true that is in other areas? Do you want to be generous with your money? I hope so. That's God's command to us. God says work not so that you can get rich. Not so that you can have a wonderful, comfortable life. Work so that you can be generous to others. That's the principle of work that the Bible gives. Now, who do you think is the person who's going to be able to follow the calling of the Spirit to be generous to others? The one who has simply been acting according to their own whims with their finances? Or the ones who are saying, God, how can I put some order? How can I delay my own gratification? How can can I put some budgeting to make sure that I'm following what you want me to do with my money so I'm going to have to give to him that needs? My suggestion is that when we put some structure in, Just like Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians 14, we are liberated to be spontaneous as the Holy Spirit wants us to be because our lives are not marked by chaos. They are not marked by commotion. In other words, what I'm trying to say here is not to pit structure against spontaneity or say you have to pick one or the other. What I'm saying is they both are required so that we are able to hear the Spirit and follow him in what 
he calls us to. You say, what is required for me to know how I can balance or how, how, how structure and spontaneity work in my Christian life? Well, think about Paul. How did that work for Paul here in 1 Corinthians 14? What was his specific purpose? Let all things be done unto edifying. That was his overarching purpose. He says, if your lack of structure is keeping you from edifying people, then you need more structure. You see, that's what he's saying. And I'm going to give you some order. I'm going to give you some structure that allows you to fulfill your purpose. You see, the problem for us is that I I think, and as I look at myself, is when we don't have the specific purpose that's governing. Oh, we've got all kinds of structure, but do you know what it is? For ourselves. We want to put all kinds of structure in our time so we have enough free time. We want to put enough structure in our, in our budget so that we can save up for that vacation we've always wanted to take. It becomes about us. But what is the purpose that God wants for us? Love me with heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And do you know what's required? Some structure. So put in structure to make sure you're loving me with heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. And then leave open some room in your budget, in your time, in your other resources, so that I can work spontaneously by my spirit and allow you to be a blessing to others and a source of praise to me. You see, spontaneity and structure are not enemies, they're necessary friends. And my question for us today is as we look at our own spiritual lives, where do we see chaos? Where do we see disorder? That might be moral disorder. Maybe as I've been talking today, the Holy Spirit has tapped you on the shoulder and said, there are some areas of moral disorder in your life that need to change with some biblical clarity and structure. If that's the case, may we be humble enough to say, God, I'm going to trust that you know what you're doing when you made me. I'm going to trust that you have what's best for me in your mind and heart when I order my life according to your commands, not my desires. Do we trust God enough to do that? Do we trust him to say, God, I'm going to order my life as best as I know how in the way that you have directed me to in your word? Let's not have chaos rule morally in our life. But you know, maybe some of us are chaotic in other ways. Chaotic in our use of the resources that God has given us. Chaotic in our relationships. Chaotic in our structuring our work or our play, our free time, our entertainment. Whatever it is. Maybe even our parenting. You know, it's very interesting. As I was thinking about this. What is childhood but chaos? Let me tell you something. If you want to know chaos, come follow my toddler around all day. If you leave an open door into the bathroom, that kid's going to be in the toilet before you know it. Let me assure you, if you see him in one of these bathrooms, you have full reign to pull him out and come find his dad. Please, please, I beg of you. That's some chaos we don't need in our lives. What is child rearing? In one real sense, child rearing is saying to children, No, that chaos is not for you. (laughs) 
Child rearing is in large part about bringing order into your children's lives and saying, here's how you structure your life. Here's chaos to stay away from. Here's commotion not to follow. Here's some structured thinking and acting and speaking that will allow you to live profitable lives socially and spiritually and relationally. Now, what happens if we identify chaos? disorder in our lives or in our use of resources or time or whatever area we've identified. We need to ask ourselves, what's my purpose? What's my purpose in raising kids? What's my purpose in having free time? What's my purpose in having a budget? What's my purpose for all of my life? And my suggestion to you, friends, is that when we get that purpose settled, my purpose is to love God and love others. My purpose is to glorify God in everything that I do. Like Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, you're going to be equipped to start bringing order where there is disorder, not for your own purpose, but so that you are going to be enabled to glorify God in loving him and loving others with the order and the spontaneity that God wants for your life. So again, hear the Apostle Paul, like that judge, banging his gavel and saying, order in the church. But I wonder this morning whether you hear the Holy Spirit banging his gavel on the table of your life and saying, order in the Christian. May we be sensitive to hearing his call today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are not the author of confusion. You are not the author of chaos. You are the author of peace. And Father, we know the devil loves to sow chaos and moral disorder in our lives. But Father, your spirit has come to make us a new creature, a new person, to bring order where there has been disorder, to bring clarity where there is commotion. And I pray, Father, we need your help in this area. We need your help to identify where there is chaos that is in our control, where there is moral disorder, where there are things that we, like the Apostle Paul, with the help of your Spirit, need to bring order. Father, our job here on earth is to glorify you. And I pray that you would just lead us and direct us in this very important task. Let's pause with our heads bowed. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, won't you let him? But I also wonder this morning if there's someone here who says, I don't know that I have order in my life even when it comes to my salvation. I don't know if I'm a Christian. I don't know if Jesus has forgiven my sins. I don't know if I'm going to heaven when I die. Unless we have order in that question, we're not going to have order anywhere else. And maybe if this morning you say, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to heaven. I don't know if I have order in that area of my life, but I'd like to find out. I just invite you just to slip up your hand wherever you're seated and say, I'd like to get some order on that question. I'd like to know whether my sins can be forgiven. Is there anyone who would say, I'd like to hear about that?
If that's you, don't hesitate to talk to me on the way out, any one of us from the church. Say, I need to know. I need to have some order in my life about my eternal destiny. Mark Holder, would you come close in prayer? Oh, Heavenly Father, uh, most gracious God, we praise your name for everything, oh Lord. We praise your, your name for this word this morning that you've given us. Oh, Heavenly Father, may we receive this word. We know you're the God of order, oh Lord, and it's our own sin um, that brings this disorder into our world through Adam and Eve, and it's our um, lack of order that brings a lot of problems into our lives individually, O oh Lord. May we grab onto this message and, and first of all, humble ourselves uh, unto you and your teachings, O oh Lord, and bring more order into all our lives. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.